0: Well, good morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter number 8. Luke chapter number 8, we'll be in verse number 40 in just a moment. Uh, Luke chapter 8, verse number 40. We're going to finish up chapter 8 today. Uh, Chapter 8 of Luke has just been, it's been a lot of fun in that uh, Luke is painting a portrait that Jesus is Lord over everything. If you think about where we started, he uh, is Lord over sickness. He is able to heal. He is Lord over the uh, natural realm. He's able to to stop the storms. He is Lord over the spiritual realm and able to cast out demons. And we're going to see today that he's Lord over everything, including our greatest enemy, which is death. Jesus Christ is Lord of all, isn't he? So if you'll stand with me, we will begin reading in verse number 40 of uh, Luke chapter number 8. Says, now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there was a man named Jairus, who was ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. The fringe there is probably the tassel. Jewish men were required by the law to wear tassels on the corner of the garment. It was probably the tassel there. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, notice that she came trembling, and falling down before him, uh, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead, do not trouble the teacher any more." But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he had came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they all laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. And those three things happened here. Her spirit returned. She got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this wonderful uh, sketch in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, this is, uh, it's been kind of personal, to be honest with you, this week uh, studying this. And I just pray that uh, you will give us a glimpse into the magnitude of the glory of Jesus Christ. And um, when I say glory, I'm talking about all the attributes of God, from your divine power down to your mercy and kindness. And, and the fact of the matter is that um, we all get saved the same way, and that's through faith. It doesn't matter how much faith, Lord, because of faith, is, it's the object of the faith that matters. And I just pray that the saints will be encouraged today in Christ's name, amen. So Jesus was experiencing the the height of his popularity. After his quick trip across the lake to Gerasa, he came back to the Jewish territory of Galilee. He was in constant demand. I want you to notice verse number 40 says that the crowd welcomed him. Um, But it's not as if he just showed up unannounced. It's not like he popped in and all of a sudden everybody said, hey, Jesus, how you doing? It's been a while. No, the Bible says that they were all all were waiting upon him. They could not wait to see Jesus. Think with me for just a moment. He was different from anything one or anything they had ever seen. They were waiting to see his miracles, weren't they? they were, some were waiting to see the, the healing, and others were waiting for him to teach. Now, you got to think with me. They didn't have televisions. They didn't have smartphones, they didn't have YouTube, they didn't have uh, computers, they didn't have movie theaters to entertain them or distract them. Jesus was a break from the monotony of subs- subsistence living that most of them were engaged in. They literally were living one day to another. For, for most of them, that was, that was their everyday living. We, for the most part, have no concept of what that's like. We can't even begin to imagine the the kind of life that they were living. Uh, This was a typical day in the life of our Savior. So much to do, and so many people, and he's here at the end of uh, Luke chapter number 8. Luke brings two miracles together into one narrative. He gives us two for the price of one because that's, that's the way it happened. Two miracles with the one event that was going on. Here we meet two very different people, yet they're joined by desperate need. The first, by the beginnings of saving faith, and also, secondly, by their experience of Jesus and his healing power. So let's look at these two people real quick, if you don't mind. In, in this last scene of chapter number eight we meet two people with acute needs. The first one, he's an official in the synagogue. His name is Jairus, we find out. Probably this man had responsibility for the Sabbath worship in the synagogue as well as the teaching that went on during the week. I don't know how much you know about synagogues, but the synagogues are busy seven days a week with either some form of teaching going on of children, some sort of ceremony. Uh, it was also the seat for social networking. Uh, they didn't have Facebook and Instagram and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Snapchat. And um, also in the synagogue, business would would also go on. Um, legal agreements would happen. It was it was the center of social life. All worship and teaching, social contracts, everything. This man. This guy, Jairus, he was very high in the social strata. Everybody knew who he was. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter your wealth, your connections, or power. Sometimes you are absolutely powerless over the events of life. There's nothing you can do. Jairus had an only daughter who was near death. She was 12 years old. Now, we don't think of it this way, but she was right in the prime. She was approaching prime marriage age. They'd our family probably already been having that discussion with another family. Who was she going to marry? She was in her prime, and his only daughter, the little girl that he loved, was dying. As she lay dying, he did everything he could to save her as any parent would, right? But nothing seemed to help. She was his priceless treasure and he'd all but given her up for lost. And what did he do? He fell down at Jesus' feet and implored him to help. For this man, Jairus, that's probably the first time in his life he'd done something like that. All dignity was out the door. He was at the end of his rope. The, actually, this man probably had had a religious bias against Jesus. But that religious bias was thrown out the door when he was facing a life or death situation. Rather than sending one of his servants, he came in person. And as a sign of his humble submission, he fell at Jesus' feet. Why? Because Jairus was against our last and most vicious enemy, death. Death had brought him to his knees. Now, the great thing for him is that Jesus was willing to go. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus is willing to conquer death. And so as he went, and he's going from one, probably one side of town to another, no telling how long the trip was. As he's going, the Bible says, if you look at what Luke said, the crowds pressed against him. They pressed in around him. Now, this word press is a, has a range of meanings. Literally, what it means is he was crushed. It can also mean to suffocate. It can also mean to crowd around someone. And this, I want you to think about this, this was Jesus' daily living. Wouldn't it be miserable? I think it would be. I, um, I, I don't know how many, well, it, um, probably not everybody is as wise as I am to be a Chicago Bulls fan. Uh, but I was watching The Last Dance, which was the uh, documentary on the last season of Michael Jordan with the Chicago Bulls and how they won the championship. And that year, uh, one of the years, I don't, I don't know if it was that year, they went, they, they chronicled a trip to Paris and uh, the crowds just crushed those players. They couldn't go anywhere without a massive group of crowds. I remember watching that thinking to myself, that would be miserable, I like being able to go into a store and nobody knew who in the world I am. Uh, when, it was funny, I got to, this is not in my sermon, it just popped in my head right now. When I lived in Pound, Pound, Wisconsin was 377 people. That's where I pastored before I came here. The town next door, one mile, literally one mile away, Coleman was 800 people. And they had enough people in that town, they had a Piggly Wiggly grocery store. And I'll never forget um, going into the grocery store and everybody knowing who I was and me not knowing anybody. They're like, oh, you're, you're the new pastor up at the Baptist church, is what they would say. Yeah, I am. I don't know who you are, but that's, I'm glad you know who I am. And, but could you imagine with Jesus every day, the crowds are pressing against him, crushing him. And all of a sudden, there's someone else in desperate need who comes up to him. The Bible says, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she spent every penny, all she had on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Mark, well, I'll get to that. But for 12 years, this woman had some sort of bleeding It's probably a a uterine bleeding of some form. The whole, now, 12 years. That's literally the whole 12 years this little girl's been alive. So we have two people, 12 years. This girl had everything going for her, and then all of a sudden she didn't. This woman, probably uh, towards the, not the end of her life, but maybe even middle age, she's been suffering for 12 years. The problem had to be embarrassing. And surely it smelled. But the worst part is that according to Leviticus 15, this woman was ceremonially unclean. That's usually ceremonial uncleanness is usually only for six or seven days for a woman. Unless I have a baby, then it's either 30 or 60 days. But I want you to think about something. She was not allowed to go to the temple. She was not allowed to enter the synagogue or participate in public worship. Remember, I said the synagogue was the center of Jewish social life. She was not even allowed to touch other people because if she did, they too would become defiled. It's almost like she didn't exist. People suffering from chronic illness often struggle with isolation. As their physical limitations cut them off from social interaction. Let me ask you a question. Who do you know that's suffering with chronic illness? Maybe a close friend. Have you checked in on them recently? This woman's alienation was profound. She was an outcast. Out of necessity, she had pulled away from all physical contact, including family members, uh, members of her own family. It had been 12 long years since anyone had embraced her. During that time, she constantly had to be careful not to touch anyone or let anyone touch her. Maybe her condition was not a matter of life and death, but, but something had definitely died inside of her. Not surprising, this woman had sought a cure any place she could. Luke stated that she spent all her living on physicians and could not be healed. Mark chapter 5 tells us that her condition only grew worse. The woman's illness cost her everything. It cost her money, relationships. It cost her her strength. She's probably anemic as well. I mean, think about the suffering that she's going through. Now, in some ways, she was very different from Jairus, wasn't she? They stood at opposite ends of the social spectrum. One was at the top of the scale. The other wasn't even on the scale. But they were both desperate for a cure. They both had critical problems that they were unable to solve for themselves. And that's true for all of us in this fallen world, isn't it? For all the medical progress that we have made, we are still powerless to stop our own suffering many times. I mean, of all the medical progress, they can't stop a common cold, right? They can't stop the flu. For all the billion dollars, billions and billions of dollars, AIDS is still a problem, cancer is still a problem, heart disease, everything, right? Right? both Jairus and the woman with the discharge of blood they were beyond human help and you know what so are we Amen. we're beyond human help whether they are physical or spiritual we all have needs that we cannot meet and problems that we cannot solve what do we struggle with struggle with besetting sins Broken relationships, incurable disabilities, chronic diseases, areas of, of personal weakness. And what, what they leave us how? They leave us feeling discouraged and defeated, don't they? And in the end, no matter what else we do or do not suffer, death is going to get us all. Isn't it? It's going to bring us to our knees. So the question then is where do you turn when you've tried everything else and nothing seems to help? Often, it's out of our most desperate needs and sense of need that people finally turn to Christ, right? When every other attempted remedy has failed, when we have spent everything we have and still not have found a cure when everyone else has let us down, and all others, um, all other supports have given way. Jesus is ready and willing to save us. As the needy people in this story discovered, He's ready to heal anyone who falls down before Him in faith, or who reaches out to touch a garment. Of his grace, Verse number 44, look at it with me. It says, "She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately immediately that discharge of blood stopped." I love the picture, this uh, mural. This is a mural. This is from this is the encounter chapel. It's in uh, Magdala on the Sea of Galilee. If you were to go down in that chapel, it's actually on the, the old port in Magdala. And you'll notice that she's touching the fringe of Jesus' garment in this picture. Beautiful mural. Uh, That's one of the highlights of of my trip, being able to to look at that and think about what Jesus did for that woman uh, when we go to Israel. But can you imagine, imagine with me this woman's trepidation. She, She may have hung around the fringes of the crowd at first when Jesus was in town. We don't know what town it was, have no idea. could be Capernaum, could be somewhere else. Hanging around the fringes. Remember, she's ceremonially unclean. Anybody touches her, what what happens? They become defiled. Maybe she covered her face so people wouldn't recognize her. Finally, having all the doctors failed her, having exhausted all her money and all her options, she got up the nerve to slip up behind Jesus and touch the fringe Remember, the fringe is that tassel way down. She touched the fringe of his garment. Instantly, instantly, the power of God healed her completely. And for the first time in more than a decade, she was no longer bleeding. No money was exchanged, there was no incantation. Just a touch, and she was healed. Jesus felt it too. Look at what he asked. He said, who was it that touched me? Now, put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They had to think, that's a ridiculous question if I've ever heard one. Peter Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. In other words, everybody's touching you. Now, I don't believe that Jesus asked that because he wanted to know who touched him. I think he knew what had happened. I don't think he was asking for his own benefit. I think he was asking for the benefit of the crowd and for the benefit of the woman herself. And I also think, from the narrative, she was trying desperately not to be noticed. Yeah, it was one of those moments. You ever have a moment in the store with one of your kids when you wish you could just crawl in a hole? I've had a few of those. She was desperately trying not to be noticed in the crowd. Finding out that she had pushed through in an unclean state. They'd be indignant. I imagine that when Jesus asked his question, she was looking for the nearest hole to crawl in. Further, with that many people surrounding Jesus, she may have even tried to slip away and she couldn't go anywhere because she was trapped by the, the crowd pressing in on him. She touched his garment, she's healed. Now she can't even make a getaway because there's so many people around. And so look at what the Bible says. And when the, whim, <coughs> when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. Now you understand why she trembled, right? And falling down before him just like Jairus, falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had immediately been healed. What did she just do? just gave testimony, a public testimony of what Jesus did. And we can see now why Jesus asked who touched. Rather than let this woman remain anonymous, Jesus called her out to give public testimony of God's saving work in his life. And at first... This is more than just a little bit scary. The woman was afraid to be exposed, but Jesus was trying, um, was not trying to embarrass her. He was giving her an opportunity to glorify God. Now, everyone knew how she'd been healed by reaching out and touching Jesus, openly declaring this, but she also brought honor to her Savior's name, and there's a greater reason why Jesus put her on the spot. We'll see in his response why it is. Look at how he responded. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And there's two things in that little sentence that are, that are really astounding, interesting. The first one is, he says, your faith has made you well. That verb translated made you well is the word sozo. And it means saved. Your faith has saved you is the literal translation. The modern translations um, interpret it, or they, they do an interpretation basically to understand that that's healing, right? Sozo, which is a word for salvation. For example, in Acts 2.21, and it shall come to pass that everybody who calls on the name of the Lord shall be sozo, saved. Uh, Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be sozo, saved. Same word here. But Jesus' words have a double meaning. The, The translation of the word healed is not a problem at all because that's exactly what happened. She is saved from illness, but more importantly, she is also saved from the wrath to come. And you know another reason why we know that? Jesus called her what? daughter. Do you know it's the only, she, she's the only person in the Gospels that Jesus called daughter? That's a familial term, right? That's family. She's now part of the family of God. Because we know that he, some people would try to argue, well, this is she's an Israelite, so she's a daughter of Abraham. No, uh, Jesus made very clear in his teaching who true Israel is. He said those Uh, remember he we already saw your parents want to come talk to your brothers and sisters he said my brothers and sisters are who those that do my will do the father's will and so she is the only woman in scripture dressed as daughter for 12 agonizing years she has been alienated from human society think put yourself in her shoes for just a minute There had to be many times in her long-suffering when she felt completely rejected even by God. All she wanted was somebody to hold her and take care of her. And now she was wrapped in the embrace of her Savior. Daughter, he said. Jesus had not called her out to humiliate her after all, but to save her, to heal her, and to love her as God's own dear child. And so it was not the degree of her faith that saved her, but rather the object of her faith, which is Jesus Christ. Remember how she came? Trembling. He told her to go in peace. And that was definitely true about her. She came to him in all sorts of turmoil. Death was for saving cure, but she departed in peace. She had physical peace. Her body was restored. She had spiritual peace. She had entered into a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. She had social peace. Now that her cure was public knowledge, she would no longer suffer scorn and prejudice. Remember, we know from the parables that people who had chronic illnesses, people viewed them as very sinful. What happened to this woman? What, what did this woman do? What sinful act did she do that she's been judged by God for 12 years of bleeding? You see? All that was taken care of. She was reintegrated into the community of God's people by Jesus Christ with one, by her faith with one touch, Now, remember that the whole time this is happening, time is running out for Jairus' daughter. We haven't forgotten about her yet, have we? While Christ is speaking, Luke tells us, someone from the ruler's house comes up and said, What? Your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. The girl was dead. And all that anyone could do now was to mourn her passing. And as the servant said, there's no reason to trouble Jesus any longer. I I can't imagine, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. I can't imagine how crushing those words had to be. He was desperate. He came to Jesus in desperation thinking, if I just get to Jesus in time, my daughter will not die. And she died anyway. The servant's words amounted to a statement of unbelief, by the way. The servant simply assumed that whatever power Jesus had could not possibly extend beyond the grave. Obviously, there was nothing more that he or anyone else could do. But Notice what the next little phrase says. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, what? Do not fear only believe, and she will be well. And now we see why these two stories are paired together, and possibly also why Jesus took so long to go get to Jairus' house. It was all in the providence of God. If he had wanted to, Jesus could have healed the girl without even going to the house. And whatever you're suffering, if Jesus wanted to, he could heal you right now now whatever problem you're you're begging the lord for whatever relationship whatever else jesus could take care of it right now but for some reason in his providence he's not instead of healing the girl immediately he followed on to Jairus' home. And along the way, he performed a healing miracle that demonstrated the power of faith. And now Jesus would give a more complete demonstration of his saving power. And the first miracle that he performed would help Jairus trust his power to perform the second. Jairus, remember, was present when that woman gave the testimony, I touched his garment and I was immediately healed. What do you think that's doing for Jairus? I think he's crushed right now. The words of Jesus are going to give him strength in just a minute. There were two miracles, and both miracles call us to faith in Jesus Christ. All Jairus had to do was believe, but even that must have seemed impossible. The moment that he heard his his daughter was dead, grief overwhelmed his soul, fear crushed his heart. But Jesus told him, "Do not be afraid." He told him, only have faith, and faith is the antithesis of fear. What do you fear right now? Fear is the antithesis of faith. Faith and fear always stand in opposition. This means that we have a choice to make we can either be afraid of all the things that might go wrong and have gone wrong, or we can trust Jesus to see us through. We face this choice all through life. Am I afraid of what might happen to my children, always fretting about their physical or spiritual safety, or do I entrust them to God's fatherly care? Am I afraid of what people will say if I take a stand for Christ, Or do I trust God to vindicate me? Am I afraid of losing (coughs) everything I own? Or do I trust God to provide what I truly need? Am I afraid that I will never get what I want out of life? Or do I trust Jesus to give me the desires of my heart? In every anxious situation, Jesus is calling to you saying, will you trust me? Trust me. Do not fear Only believe. And Jesus calls us to exercise the same kind of trust. We must trust Him for forgiveness of our sins through His death on the cross. We must trust Him for spiritual healing from wounds we have suffered in a fallen world. We must trust Him for grace to endure trials with patience and perseverance. We must trust Him for reconciliation of relationships and for the salvation of the people we love. I have a brother who is two years younger than me and I've been praying my whole life for his salvation and I'm still hopeful and I'm still trusting God. How are you, adult, those who have adult children who have wandered off, are you fearful? Are you still hoping and trusting in Jesus Christ? Now the mourners we were already gathered when they got there. And that, that helps emphasize the fact that this girl was dead. She was doornail dead. She was as dead as they get dead. And notice what Jesus said. He looked at the mourners. The, they're, they're professionals, they're professional mourners. And he says, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And what was their response? they laughed at him knowing that she was dead now the word laugh that that word choice in greek is indicates ridicule or mock they were mocking jesus they were ridiculing jesus they were scoffers now notice what he did did not notice what he did he did not allow the scoffers to stay he asked them to leave. He kicked them out and then he finished his mission. The mockers needed to be removed so that the mission could be accomplished. Now, when he said, She is not dead but sleeping, Jesus was not offering a different diagnosis. Instead, he was introducing everybody to a whole new perspective on what it means to die based upon his divine power over life and death. Jesus knew that this girl would rise another day. They believed in the resurrection. And so he said she's only asleep. As one commentator said, um, there's an entire sermon in the word sleeping. The girl's death was not permanent. The girl was dead to her family and friends, but as far as Jesus was concerned, she was only asleep. And so, taking her by the hand, he called out, child, arise. It was the simplest thing that Jesus did. He touched the girl with a healing hand and said what her mother probably said every morning. Get up, my child. Get up. She was sleeping. Notice the response. I, when we read it, I... I Her spirit returned. She was dead. Her spirit came back. She got up at once. It wasn't, you know, in the movies, like some slow awakefulness. It says she popped up. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. Now, she probably needed it, but that's also proof that she was alive. Remember when Jesus got his resurrected body, his glorified body, Uh, one of the proofs that it was him and not a ghost was he said, give me some fish and I'll eat it. Remember? That's what he's doing there. And her parents were amazed and he charged them to tell no one what happened. You know what? Death is not the end for believers. In the same way that Jesus raised on the third day, we too will be raised. Won't that be great? Our bodies will sleep in death, but they will rise again. How do we know this? How do we know this? By faith. We just saw two stories about faith faith in Jesus Christ. And since faith is the antithesis of fear, we have nothing to fear. We don't even need to fear our own death. or the death of the people that we love who are in Jesus Christ. There's no fear. Jesus has taken the fear out of death. Isn't that wonderful? Let me ask you a question. What are you fearing today? What are you fearing? We have nothing to fear as believers. As I said several times already, Jesus has taken the fear out of anything. Jesus may choose to put you in some of the hardest providences that you never imagine that you go through in your life. But even when he does, we are not to fear. We are only to trust him because he loves, if you're in Christ, he loves you. And Romans 8 says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this wonderful scene in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. We we have nothing to fear. There are many times, Lord, when, when you put us in difficult times, And we wonder, are we being punished? And we question, Lord. In our weak moments, we question. But Lord, help us to never question your goodness. Help us to never question your love. And help us to never question your power. Lord, are the very fact that you saved us shows us that. I pray that we will be strengthened and encouraged by the kindness and love and power of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.